truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, March 17th, 2022, the 421st day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Before we get started, I just want to ask everybody if you are enjoying the show and the feedback I am getting makes it seem like you are, please continue to share the show. Most of you are aware that the show was taken down by Anchor, which is Spotify's podcast distribution platform, and the show still seems not to be back up for most people on Apple or Spotify. I doubt I'm going to get back on Spotify, to be honest, but Apple's still a possibility. Either way, it is yet another act of censorship that is trying to throw me off track. And while I just keep going, they still do have ways to limit my reach and shrink my audience. And the way to stop that is by people spreading the show through word of mouth. And I'm mentioning this because I was having a text message conversation with a friend of mine this morning, and he was talking about a friend of his to whom he had attempted to recommend the Robert F. Kennedy Jr. book, The Real Anthony Fauci. And the friend rejected it, saying, oh, he's an anti-vaxxer. Now, I think everybody should proceed using their own judgment, but my two cents were, man, you should stop arguing with that person and just get away. And he said, yeah, but we've been friends for a long time. He has proven to be a good friend over the years. And I said, I get it. I had a lot of those. I would have described many, many people, hundreds really, that way two years ago. But I decided to speak truth, not only to them, but in public, which made it hard for their public image to deal with the fact that one of their closest friends was saying all the no-no things, because then they would have to answer for me, me telling the truth about some of the most important issues that will ever face the world was harming their personal brand. So we stopped being friends. This can and will happen for everyone who still has these people around, all right? At some point, they're going to break one way or another. And I would suggest to you that if they haven't broken the right direction by this point, they may not be making it to the right direction. I talked all last year 
on high noon about people becoming redeemable communists, figuring out what they have supported, what this all was, what they were doing with their shaming and bullying and censoring all these things that they've supported, the suggestion that children should be forced to be injected with an experimental gene therapy, for instance. And I said, there's going to be a moment where we reach a point of no return, after which people realizing what they've done wrong will not be forgiven. And I'm not just talking about us and people who have actually had their lives negatively impacted in extraordinary ways by this mass cultural psychosis. I'm talking about how these people will not be able to forgive themselves. Right now, our neighbors, friends, and family are supporting actual Nazis. Okay, we've gone through this many days on the podcast, but I want to be clear about what this is. All right. This is not me trying to paint everyone with a broad brush as Nazi supporters. This is me stating the simple fact that they did not know where on a map Ukraine was four weeks ago. They have not tried to figure out anything in that time, and they are nonetheless walking themselves further into the hate movement. They are supporting and rationalizing and justifying American tax dollars being spent and American military equipment being shipped over to Ukraine to be used by foreign mercenaries and neo-Nazis to attack Russians who they now excitedly speak about killing. They want to kill Russians because they're Russian. Ben Sass was on MSNBC actually saying that it's good if they're killing Russians. And they have gone along. These people have gone along with all of these narratives the whole time for years. All of them. Pink pussy hats. Yes. Russian collusion. Of course. But her emails. Yeah, right. The emails are nothing. Benghazi's nothing. Uranium One is nothing. Barack Obama and Joe Biden knowing about the Russian collusion hoax. That's nothing. Was there election fraud in the 2016 election? Did the Clinton Foundation, did the Bidens, were they all involved in a program set up through Ukraine to influence the 2016 election? Yeah, they were. Do any of these people care? No, that's Russian disinformation. And we're going to get to some more of that. COVID is very deadly. Look at the counter on the screen. Post about it every day. Oh, no. Cases. Mask up. Masks work. Masks don't work. Mask up. Now wear two masks. Now wear three masks. Now wear two. Now wear one. Now it's okay because you're vaccinated. Nope. Got to wear a mask again. They go along with every single little bit of it. They don't question any of it. They can't support any of it. They don't know any of it. They know it's right because people like them tell them it's right. And they believe that because those people are like them, they are also very smart and moral like them. Even though they can't explain the facts of the situation or the moral judgments they're making. But they trust that these people 
are experts. And because they're not experts in any of these subjects, in fact, they know literally nothing about any of these subjects. Well, that must mean that the experts, they have done all the work and they've arrived at that perfect position. And so it's totally safe to agree with them and accept that perfect position. There's no downside. The experts know it's true. Therefore, it is true. Therefore, if they've also made the moral calculation, they're experts about that, too. You can't make moral judgments unless you know what all of the important studies say. They have gone along with everything the entire time. They go along with everything because none of it ever comes back to hurt them. In two years of the two greatest concurrent crises this nation has ever faced, they have not once thought, man, what if I'm wrong about all this? Not once. They know that they are on the right side and anybody that disagrees with them is on the wrong side by virtue of the fact that they disagree. And because they can't actually explain the disagreement, they must explain it on the basis of moral failings. And then those moral failings get attached to identity groups. White men are bad. Straight white men. Oh, they're the worst. White women are bad, but only relative to women of color. Gay men are bad. If it's in relation to gay men of color. And gay men of color are bad if it's in relation to trans women of color. They will use any combination of reasons and justifications they want to always say that the people who disagree with them are bad by virtue of who they are. It is bigotry. It is a hate movement. And the hate movement has now gone military in league with actual Nazis. Okay. They are reaching that moment, that point of no return, being on board with this Ukraine project right now. These people begging for World War Three while working in consort with Nazis and the most corrupt people on the planet. They still do not see any moral problem with any of this. How do you come back from that? I'm not saying we shouldn't be forgiving. I spent all of last year saying, hey, just let go. Okay. You can see all of this is wrong. You know, all of it's wrong. Just think about the thoughts you had a year ago or two years ago. This is why I tell people that when they share the podcast or when they first start listening to the podcast, that they should go back a few months, maybe even go back to the beginning so that you can hear the progression so that you can know that I said things six months before the mainstream knew them. It's not because I'm magic. It's because I actively tried to figure things out with a massive community of people who are also actively trying to figure things out so that we can know what the key facts are and then move on to making moral judgments and refining moral arguments so that we can actually all get on the same page as a society about the way we want to move forward. And what I'm saying is 
for the good of the souls of the people around you, the people you interact with, your friends and family and neighbors. If you are remaining silent about all of this because you are worried about the blowback you're going to get from these people, I would suggest, first of all, that is weak. All right. This is the future of your country. And despite how bad it is, it can get far, far worse before it gets better. It gets better when people know the truth and people stand up for the truth and not until then. But I would also suggest that you are potentially preventing the force of you leaving the relationship from having an impact on them. All right. They are going to stay where they are if you continue to be cowed by how mean and vicious they are and how disrespectful they are. You don't need to be ashamed of being called crazy, even in public, by people who are actively supporting real Nazis. All right? Like, we have to get past this. We have to be able to communicate. And this is, by the way, not about my friend who texted me this this, this morning. Many of you have heard me make this argument at various points over the years, but I think we are really reaching something important here. How much longer can this go on? And if you think I'm nuts, project out into the future how these people's lives might be, right? They have been online supporting all of this stuff because they're emotional about it. They don't know anything, obviously. They're scared and upset. But they want everybody out there to know that they are still good people, despite not knowing anything and not making moral judgments in their own lives at all. They are still the good people. That's what they want everybody to know. And rather than taking on the work of figuring out what is actually going on and how each individual might have an impact according to their own skills and talents and networks and connections what can they do to help well instead they just post the slogans online assuming that will work because it has in the past it's free social credit that's probably why they're so ready to accept a social credit score and being tracked all the time because they enjoy repeating the slogans it makes them feel good to imagine that other people see them as good while doing nothing so they've projected all this out there for years now, everybody knows where they stand. What happens when this actually flips on them? What happens when 80, 85, 90% of the country understands that these people are supporting Nazis in Ukraine, that they supported a medical experiment that is killing thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people for a disease that killed one out of every thousand people who get it, nearly all of them being old with significant comorbidities. How do you come back from that? They are going to know that they posted all these things. They're going to know that their peers know they posted all these things. It's funny, isn't it, that they say these intrusions to our privacy are generally no big deal because they're not doing anything bad. They're not doing anything bad according to the global communist order, perhaps. But the erosion of privacy has made them project everything public, and now it's all there on their permanent record. And yes, they're going to go through and delete their posts, but people know, people know where they stood. The people close to them 
most especially, who is going to just ignore what these people have said and done and how they've acted and how they've treated the people closest to them in their lives? People aren't just going to forgive that. These people are reaching a point of no return. You have to talk to them. You have to be straightforward with them. You have to say, hey, you actually are supporting Nazis right now. How do you not understand that? How does that not add up for you? And when they say, well, you know, I, I know that there are like some Nazis over there, but that's not what we're supporting. Ask them to tell you how that's so. How are they not supporting Nazis? And uh, well, you know, Vladimir Putin, he's a very bad man. And the Russians launched this preemptive war of aggression for no reason and no provocation. Okay. Tell me why any of those things you just said is true. Ask them any one of those things. They will not know. Oh, so you're saying Vladimir Putin's a good guy? That's what it's going to be. And you know that's what it's going to be because they don't know anything. And that's when it might be time to be like, you know what? I've really tried. For two years, I have really tried. Right now, you are justifying American tax dollars and weapons going to foreign mercenaries and neo-Nazis so that you can protect one of the most corrupt states that has ever existed in the history of man. And then you got to walk away. All right. You don't send them sources. You don't send them articles because they don't care. If they cared, it would have worked before we got to the point of them outwardly defending Nazis. And so I've been thinking a lot about this. Obviously, I think about these various sorts of things all the time. But last night, the In the Matrix show posted a link to a video in their Telegram chat that got reposted all over the place. I reposted it. You can find it in the info stream from last evening. And it's a little clip of Bill Cooper talking. This is William Cooper. I think his first name is actually Milton. I think it's Milton William Cooper. He wrote a book called Behold a Pale Horse, and you should look that up. Look into that. But this is a clip called is the public stupid? Adolf Hitler thought so. Now, Bill Cooper died in 2001. So I don't know exactly how old this video is, how old this speech is that this video was based on, I should say. But it's at least 21 years old. So consider that in relation to what we're experiencing today. Now, the video is a little over five minutes long, so I just want to play it all the way through for you, and I hope you'll enjoy it. If you've already listened to it, or if listening to things isn't your thing, just skip five minutes forward. So one cannot avoid asking the question, is the public stupid? <laughs> Adolf Hitler thought so. Adolf Hitler thought so. In fact, his career was based on the stupidity of the German public. Surprisingly, Hitler admitted this at the outset of his career. In his book, Mein Kampf, he wrote that the Marxists of his time were the masters of political propaganda. In other words, they were his teachers. As for the political moderates and conservatives, Hitler said, the correct use of propaganda has remained practically unknown to the bourgeois parties. 
propaganda, said Hitler, was to be directed against the masses, and the masses, he said, were stupid. The content of propaganda is not science, said Hitler. The content of propaganda, he said, calls the masses' attention to certain facts, processes, necessities, etc. But these facts need not be true. One might bring up the idea of global warming, which justifies extreme measures. One might say, the rainforests are dying as a way of extending your power while depriving individuals of power, in effect electricity. You bring these facts forward, even if they are not facts. This is the basis of propaganda. This must be done skillfully, explained Hitler, so that everyone will be convinced that the fact is real, the process necessary, the necessity correct, etc. Does one have to prove something scientifically? All propaganda must be popular, and its intellectual level must be adjusted to the most limited intelligence among those it is addressed to, wrote Hitler. A propaganda which only aims at intelligent people will not accomplish anything. If you demand intelligence from the public, if you expect them to rise to a higher level, you will be disappointed. The more modest its intellectual ballast, explains Hitler, the more exclusively it takes into consideration the emotions of the masses, the more effective it will be. In other words, the public is stupid and does not think. Instead, it relies on its emotions and feelings. But what is the IQ of a feeling? It is also a mistake, said Hitler, to make propaganda many-sided. The receptivity of the great masses is very limited. Their intelligence is small, and their power of forgetting is enormous. Because the public forgets so quickly and easily, propaganda must be repeated often. You must establish a virtual drumbeat of repetition. Ashcroft is a dangerous white-winged extremist. Is something you repeat again and again. Republicans are divisive would be another commonly recited phrase. When examined closely, these ideas are nonsense. More often than not, the people originating this propaganda are themselves extremists whose propaganda divides the nation according to race and sex. But in accusing others of doing what they do every day, they insulate themselves from attack. All eyes are turned in another direction, where they're told to turn. The best propaganda is therefore simple and repetitive because it is repeated so often. It spreads and receives reinforcement from all quarters as the stupid public regurgitates what it has learned in common discourse. Where have you heard that before? The broad mass of a nation, wrote Hitler, does not consist of professors of political law are even individuals capable of forming a rational opinion. What a propagandist fosters is not independent thought, but mass emotion. This was the formula that brought Hitler to power and made him popular with the German masses. It should be noted that Hitler's insights into manipulating the masses were not original. While many leaders ignored the social sciences, Hitler had done some reading. We are told that he had been influenced in his thinking by one of Europe's leading men of science, Gustave Le Bar. 
It was Le Bon who wrote a famous 1895 treatise on the psychology of crowds. 1895, ladies and gentlemen. Hitler and Lenin, the founding dictators of Nazi Germany and Soviet Russia, both read Le Bon and applied his discoveries. At the same time, with the exception of Teddy Roosevelt, Western leaders failed to do likewise. Consequently, the Western countries have been successfully bombarded by anti-Western propaganda messages for many decades, and these have successfully battered down our institutions and traditional ideas. So none of what's being experienced right now is new at all. This has been done time and time again throughout history. And they believe that the masses are stupid. And they believe that the masses have proven themselves stupid time and time again because they continually go along with the public programming. But the part that's left out of that is that it's not stupidity that drives that phenomenon. It's that the masses are too busy trying to survive in a world that is stacked against them by the elites to spend the time and attention to inform themselves. It's not because they're unable to understand things. It's because they haven't taken the time and they haven't been exposed to the material that would actually inform them. But we've gone beyond that point in terms of information and technology. And that's why we're having the awakening we're having now. The propaganda is not being directed at the stupid per se. It's being directed at the ignorant. It doesn't work against people who are informed and they don't have to be educated. They don't have to be super geniuses to understand what the information means if they're getting enough of it and if they're getting the right information. It's not about stupid or not stupid. But how do you get really smart people to go along with the propaganda? Well, you have to either incentivize them or force them. Some people just respond to incentives. If they go along with the propaganda, they get rewarded. They get little treats from the masters, like dogs. Or they go along with the corruption because it pays them. Or they're compromised and don't have any choice, they think. Because there's no standard of stupid that they would recognize that would explain how they've all succumbed to all of this propaganda. Now, some really interesting propaganda from right before the election has come back into the light and into the public conversation. Yesterday, the New York Times admitted that Hunter Biden's laptop is actually real. And I'm going to get to that in a second. But first, I want to go back and read for you the letter sent by 50 former intelligence officials that called Hunter Biden's laptop Russian disinformation. This was on October 19th, 2020, two weeks before the fraudulent election. So here it is. We are all individuals who devoted significant portions of our lives to national security. Some of us served in senior positions in policy departments and agencies, and some of us served in senior positions in the intelligence community. Some of us were political appointees, and some of us were career officials. Many of us worked for presidents of both political parties. That's supposed to be a plus, by the way. They're not doing this just to help one political party or the other. 
You, you got it. You got it, people. It's only Democrat and Republican. Those are the choices. So if we're not helping Democrats or Republicans, that means we're honest. We are also individuals who see Russia as one of our nation's primary adversaries. All of us have an understanding of the wide range of Russian overt and covert activities that undermine U.S. national security, with some of us knowing Russian behavior intimately as we work to defend our nation against it for a career. A few of us worked against Russian information operations in the United States in the last several years. And of course, they are triggering people's minds to believe that they are talking about the Russian interference in our election and the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. These are all real things in the minds of their target audience. So they can still use this. We've, we've been the ones working on this Russian interference. Trust us. Perhaps most important, each of us believes deeply that American citizens should determine the outcome of elections, not foreign governments. All of us agree with the founding fathers' concern about the damage that foreign interference in our politics can do to our democracy. It is for these reasons that we write to say that the arrival on the U.S. political scene of emails purportedly belonging to Vice President Biden's son, Hunter, much of it related to his time serving on the board of the Ukrainian gas company Burisma, has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. We want to emphasize that we do not know if the emails provided to the New York Post by President Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, are genuine or not, and that we do not have evidence of Russian involvement. Just that our experience makes us deeply suspicious that the Russian government played a significant role in this case. If we are right, this is Russia trying to influence how Americans vote in this election, and we believe strongly that Americans need to be aware of this. There are a number of factors that make us suspicious of Russian involvement. Such an operation would be consistent with Russian objectives, as outlined publicly and recently by the intelligence community, to create political chaos in the United States and to deepen political divisions here, but also to undermine the candidacy of former Vice President Biden and thereby help the candidacy of President Trump. For the Russians at this point, with Trump down in the polls, there is incentive for Moscow to pull out all the stops to do anything possible to help Trump win and or to weaken Biden should he win. A laptop op fits the bill as the publication of the emails are clearly designed to discredit Biden. Now, there is a whole lot in that paragraph. OK, so. The intelligence community has recently outlined the objectives of the Russians. Therefore, those are the objectives of the Russians. Therefore, anything the intelligence community determines to help Russia's objectives is therefore Russian disinformation. And then they repeat the idea that the Russians actually wanted Joe Biden to fail and for Donald Trump to be president, does anything about that construct make sense anymore? Of course not. Then they claim that Donald Trump is down in the polls as if it's a given and as if the polls are automatically true and correct. Donald Trump received 
by far the most votes of any presidential candidate in history, including Joe Biden, who absolutely did not get 81 million real legal American votes. And then they want you to believe that a laptop op is a normal kind of thing. The Russians do this all the time. You see, they always have all this compromising information on a presidential candidate's son that actually did do all the things on the laptop, but the laptop should have never gotten out there. Now, remember, the FBI had Hunter's laptop since late 2019. They already knew it was real. The intelligence community already knew it was real, and they wrote this anyway. Such an operation would be consistent with some of the key methods Russia has used in its now multi-year operation to interfere in our democracy. Get it? Once again, referencing the Russian collusion and the Russian interference into our 2016 election, both complete and total fabrications. The hacking via cyber operations, and the dumping of accurate information or the distribution of inaccurate or misinformation. Now, they have to say hacking, even though the laptop was physically present at the repair shop, because they have to give a justification for the social media companies to take down the articles, as Twitter did with the New York Post article. They banned the New York Post from posting for two weeks. So the story would not get its legs underneath it. Russia did both of these during the 2016 presidential election. Judgments shared by the U.S. intelligence community, the investigation into Russian activities by special counsel Robert Mueller, and the entirety, all Republicans and Democrats, on the current Senate Intelligence Committee. Such an operation is also consistent with several data points. The Russians, according to media reports and cybersecurity experts, targeted Burisma late last year for cyber collection and gained access to its emails. And Ukrainian politician and businessman Andriy Durkach, identified and sanctioned by the U.S. Treasury Department for being a 10-year Russian agent interfering in the 2020 election, passed purported materials on Burisma and Hunter Biden to Giuliani. You got that? So they just concocted a whole ploy about how Rudy Giuliani received the laptop from a Russian agent. Our view that the Russians are involved in the Hunter Biden email issue is consistent with two other significant data points as well. According to the Washington Post, citing four sources, U.S. intelligence agencies warned the White House last year that Giuliani was the target of an influence operation by Russian intelligence. Now, is that true? They don't substantiate it. They just said the Washington Post says it, and they have four sources that say it. And they call that a significant data point. In addition, media reports say that the FBI has now opened an investigation into Russian involvement in this case. Again, the FBI can do whatever it wants. Nothing about the FBI investigating the issue and any potential Russian involvement after they've already had the laptop for a year indicates that it is, in fact, Russian involvement 
or that Russia had anything to do with it. The FBI investigates all sorts of things, and they use the fact that the FBI is investigating something as news that the thing itself is true. We've seen that over and over again, and it never proves true. It is a rhetorical trick, honestly. According to USA Today, federal authorities are investigating whether the material supplied to the New York Post by Rudy Giuliani is part of a smoke bomb of disinformation pushed by Russia. So the two significant data points that should increase your trust of what these 50 former intelligence officials are theorizing, propagandizing, the two significant data points are a sentence from an article in the Washington Post and a sentence from an article in USA Today to embarrassing propaganda news outlets. We do not know whether these press reports are accurate, but they do suggest concern within the executive branch departments and agencies that mirror ours. It's high time that Russia stops interfering in our democracy. And because all of these people deserve to be famous for this ridiculous letter that itself undermined the election of 2020, let's go ahead and read their names. These are the people who signed on to this letter. Former Director of National Intelligence, James Clapper. Oh, and he has other jobs, too. He lists them as well. Former Director of the CIA, Michael Hayden. Former director of the CIA, Leon Panetta. Former director of the CIA, John Brennan. Former deputy director of national intelligence for analysis, Thomas Finger. Former deputy director of the NSA, Rick Legit. Former acting director of the CIA and deputy director of the CIA, John McLaughlin. Former acting director of the CIA and deputy director of the CIA, Michael Morell. Former Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence, Mike Vickers. Former Deputy Director, Defense Intelligence Agency, Doug Wise. And I'm going to stop reading their titles because this is going to take forever. Nick Rasmussen, Russ Travers, Andy Leapman, John Moseman, Larry Pfeiffer, Jeremy Bash, Rodney Snyder, Glenn Gerstel, David B. Buckley, Nada Bacos, Patty Brandmeier, James B. Bruce, And here's the part where they list the people who have considerable work related to Russia. David Carrions, Janice Carrions, Paul Colby, Peter Corsell, Brett Davis, Roger Zane George, Stephen L. Hall, Kent Harrington, Don Hepburn, Timothy D. Kilborn, Ron Marks, Jonna Highstand Mendez, Emil Nackley. Gerald O'Shea, David Price, Pam Persilli, Mark Polymeropoulos, Chris Savos, Nick Shapiro, John Seifer, Stephen Slick, Cynthia Strand, Greg Tarbell, David Terry, Greg Treverton, John Tullius, David Vanell, Winston Wiley, and Kristen Wood. In addition, nine former IC officers who cannot be named publicly also support the Arguments in this letter. Everything those former intelligence officials put into that letter was an out and out lie. Every little bit of it. Not one little bit of that was true. But they put that out. They published it in Politico. And then that became the new narrative. 
the new thing that all of the very, very ignorant people, just kidding, they're very smart, the very smart people on the media and all of those people attached to the central narrative, all of them just took right up with it and said, yes, this is Russian disinformation. What do you mean it's real? 50 former intelligence officials disagree with you and they're intelligence officials. Do you know how smart that makes them? They're experts. They've committed their whole lives to national security. And you, you're just a conspiracy theorist. You don't know anything. What are you saying? You're the expert. You have more experience than the people in the intelligence communities. No, I didn't say any of those things, but I will say that I have the ability to look at reality and not lie. And speaking of that, what was the ultimate impact of this amazing letter? Well, I tell you what, I, uh, I hope he does look at me because what's happening here is, you know who I am, you know who he is, you know his character, you know my character, you know our reputations for honor and telling the truth. I am anxious to have this race. I am anxious to see this take place. I am the character of the country is on the ballot. Our characters in the ballot. Look at us closely. Let me ask some follow me. Please respond, if and then we're going to have follow-up questions. This is true about Russia, Ukraine, China, other countries, Iraq. If this is true, then he's a corrupt politician. Right. So don't give me the stuff about how you're this innocent baby, Joe. They're calling you a corrupt politician. Nobody's hey, President Trump. The I want to stay hell. on the issue Excuse of race. Me. We're Take talking look at about the, the issue from hell. President Trump. Nobody. We're talking about race right now, and I do want to stay on the issue of race. President Trump, and I have dis- to respond to that. Please. Because look, Very there are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is has all the care Four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except the his and his good friend, Rudy Gianni. You mean the laptop is now yeah. another Russia, Russia, Russia hoax? And that's exactly be. what is this that's where exactly you're going? what this is told. where he's going. The laptop right. is Russia, yeah. Russia, Russia. I want to stay on the issue of race. You okay? have to be kidding. Mr. Here we go President, again with Russia. We're going to continue Boy, on the boy. issue of race. Mr. President, you've described Joe Biden in the debate. Looked the country in the eye. He said, this is about the character of the country. You know my character. You know his character. You know that my character is one of honor and integrity. I'm the honest guy. That's what the television has always told you about me. They don't tell you about how I was mentored by a Klansman in politics. They don't tell you that. They don't tell you that Robert Byrd was a former Grant Cleveland exalted Cyclops of the Klan. They don't tell you that Joe Biden spent 40 years by his side. They don't tell you, even though Joe does, that he wrote the damn bill, the crime bills in the 90s, that the media always says had disparate racial impact. They don't tell you about that. They tell you about how Joe is a very decent man. Old Scranton Joe always doing the decent things. Ooh, what a real straight shooter. Yes, he has plagiarized speeches throughout his career. Yes, he lies about everything, significant or not. But he is an honest and decent man of integrity. And right now he is saying, well, he's not saying himself that his 
son's laptop isn't actually his son's laptop. And certainly he's not denying his son's involvement or his own in Russia or Ukraine or China or any of his other corrupt dealings around the world. In fact, he built his entire career off corruption in Delaware and serving corporate interests for pay while betraying the people he was elected to serve. No, he's a man of honesty and integrity. So when he says, rather than addressing the laptop or any of those foreign countries, when he says 50 former intelligence officials have said that the laptop is Russian disinformation, well, then that's good enough to go out and repeat it to the country at a presidential debate. Don't worry, the social media companies have already shut it down. So there's no problem there. People will never talk about this. The news networks are not going to show this clip from the debate to anyone who may have missed the debate. There's going to be no discussion of this clip or this interaction virtually at all. And so it'll just disappear and the election will happen and then they'll hand it to Joe Biden and it won't matter at all. And it turns out in the months following the election, there was a poll done asking Biden voters if they would have changed their vote, knowing that the Hunter Biden laptop was real. 16% of them said yes. Now, certainly Joe did not get anywhere near 81 million votes, but 16% of that 81 million, well, that's about 13 million votes right there. How well would Joe have done with 13 million fewer votes? And for the record, this is never what I'm talking about when I talk about election fraud. Yes, this is election manipulation on a grand scale through propaganda. But in America, we have basically come to accept that as fair game in the scope of dirty politics and television politics. Now, the New York Times article is a bit long, but I think it's worth going through because this is a major shift in the narrative. And there were a few of those yesterday, and I'm going to get to another great one in a second. But the headline Hunter Biden paid tax bill, but broad federal investigation continues. This is by Katie Benner, Kenneth Vogel, and Michael Schmidt. In the year after he disclosed a federal investigation into his tax affairs in late 2020, President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, paid off a significant tax liability, even as a grand jury continued to gather evidence in a wide ranging examination of his international business dealings, according to people familiar with the case. Mr. Biden's failure to pay all his taxes has been a focus of the ongoing Justice Department investigation. While wiping out his liability does not preclude criminal charges against him, the payment could make it harder for prosecutors to win a conviction or a long sentence for tax-related offenses, according to tax law experts, since juries and judges tend to be more sympathetic to defendants who have paid their bills. Now, that's a good place to stop immediately because what they're doing right now is telling people, don't worry about this tax issue whatsoever. Forget about this case. It's not a big deal. Yes, Hunter is still dealing with some legal issues, but according to our experts, cases like this are almost never really a problem if the person has paid their taxes in the meantime. So all that had to happen was Hunter got his tax money and then the whole thing goes away, including in the public spotlight. Now, will the whole thing go away? No. But they want people to believe that none of this is a big deal. So they shut their mind off the next time it pops up 
And this is something that they have done successfully for years and years, which is why they continue. But Mr. Biden's taxes are just one element of the broader investigation stemming from work he did around the world. Hunter Biden is a Yale educated lawyer. His professional life has intersected with his father's public service, including working as a registered lobbyist for domestic interests. And while his father was vice president, pursuing deals and clients in Asia and Europe. Oh, what a pioneering businessman Hunter Biden is and a lawyer. That's so impressive. I guess his dad must be so proud. His dad just committing his life to public service and his son, a successful Yale educated lawyer doing business around the world. As recently as last month, the federal grand jury heard testimony in Wilmington, Delaware, from two witnesses, one of whom was a former employee of Hunter Biden, whose lawyer was later subpoenaed for financial records that reflected money Mr. Biden received from a Ukrainian energy company. The investigation, which began as a tax inquiry under the Obama administration, widened in 2018 to include possible criminal violations of tax law, as well as foreign lobbying and money laundering rules, according to the people familiar with the inquiry. But don't worry, just read those first couple paragraphs before you hit the paywall and you'll understand this is no big deal. But prosecutors face a number of hurdles to bring criminal charges, the people familiar with the investigation said, including proving that Mr. Biden intentionally violated the Foreign Agents Registration Act or FARA, which requires disclosure to the Justice Department of lobbying or public relations assistance on behalf of foreign clients. Prosecutors are going to have a hard time proving that the New York Times wants you to believe. The Justice Department has given no public indication that it has made decisions about any element of the case, and Mr. Biden has not been charged with any crime. When he disclosed the investigation after the 2020 election, Hunter Biden said that, quote, a professional and objective review of these matters will demonstrate that I handled my affairs legally and appropriately. Mr. Biden's lawyer, the Justice Department and the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware, which is overseeing the investigation, all declined to comment. And that's too bad. I guess we're just going to have to go with Hunter's comments from 2020. It is not clear whether the criminal probe is focused solely on Hunter Biden or if he is among the group of individuals and companies being scrutinized. Prosecutors have also asked about potential FARA violations by a Washington consulting firm, Blue Star Strategies, that worked for the Ukrainian energy company in an arrangement that Mr. Biden helped broker, according to documents and the people familiar with the investigation. For President Biden, the long-running case is both politically and personally fraught. Hunter Biden's work for Burisma Holdings, the Ukrainian energy company, became a flashpoint in his father's race in 2020 against President Donald J. Trump and helped set off the events that led to Mr. Trump's first impeachment. Well, that is very interesting. The elder Mr. Biden now oversees the Justice Department that is carrying out the investigation. Thank goodness. Finally, somebody who's fair and just, you know, a man of honor and integrity is controlling the Justice Department that's investigating his son. And Hunter Biden, who in recent years has pursued a career as a painter, has acknowledged 
serious drug addictions and other problems during the period when he was seeking international business while dealing with the illness and death of his brother, Bo. Wait, that's so weird. They didn't mention that once his brother, Bo, died, Hunter started a sexual relationship with Bo's widow that involved other people as well. Hunter was having group sex with his brother's widow while mourning the loss of his brother and being addicted to drugs while doing international business while his father was vice president. That can't be. If that was true, the news would have told us. Oh, wait, this article did just tell us all of those things. It's strange that they don't put them all together like that, or you might get the wrong idea. The investigation is being overseen by David C. Weiss, the U.S. attorney for Delaware. He worked in the office during the Bush and Obama administrations and was nominated to run it by Mr. Trump. Mr. Weiss has been permitted to remain in office until the Biden case is resolved. Isn't that nice? Joe Biden is permitting him to stay. Hunter Biden told associates in recent months that he paid the federal taxes that had been the subject of Justice Department scrutiny. He told one associate that the tax liability was more than a million dollars and that he had to take out a loan to pay it off. So the New York Times is reporting something that Hunter Biden associates told them and they don't name the associates. So these are anonymous sources. So a better way of putting this is anonymous sources say That Hunter Biden actually paid off this debt. And you have to note that before they told you because he paid off the debt. Now it's unlikely that this case will be a problem for him. And they're basing that on the word of anonymous sources. Now, if you take out a loan to pay off a tax debt, you still owe the money. So that still means Hunter Biden is a million dollars in the hole. So why did he shift the million from whoever loaned it to him to the tax problem? Oh, that's for the thing we were talking about with the case. Now they can say that the case isn't a big deal because Hunter Biden, according to associates, has paid the taxes. You got it again. No problems. Federal tax prosecutors generally fight to keep jurors from knowing whether defendants have paid their back tax bills, arguing that the crime happens when the return is falsely filed or not filed at all, said Jeffrey Neiman, a former Justice Department tax prosecutor and a partner at Marcus Neiman, Rashbaum and Pinero. Such knowledge could influence jurors, even if a judge asks them not to consider it. And you got to make sure that Hunter Biden is treated fairly. Mr. Neiman said that defense lawyers encourage clients to pay their back taxes if they believe they could be indicted on federal tax crimes, as it often helps with sentencing. So basically, if you're powerful, you don't have to pay your taxes until you're forced to. Investigators have examined Mr. Biden's relationships with interests in Kazakhstan, a Chinese energy conglomerate, and Burisma, the Ukrainian energy company, according to people familiar with the investigation. They said prosecutors had investigated payments and gifts Mr. Biden or his associates had received from foreign interests, including a vehicle paid for using funds from a company associated with a Kazakh oligarch and a diamond from a Chinese energy tycoon. 
Prosecutors also sought documents related to corporate entities through which Mr. Biden and his associates conducted business with interests around the world. But there has been debate within the Justice Department over whether the available evidence proves that Mr. Biden intended to violate FARA, which the government must prove in order to secure a criminal conviction. The prosecutors have discussed approaching potential FARA violations as a civil matter, which would require Mr. Biden to register retroactively as a foreign agent, but would avoid criminal charges, according to the people familiar with the case. Don't you understand? Even if you committed a crime, as long as you fix it later, then the crime didn't happen. If you're powerful, such a resolution could complicate a potential money laundering case, since money laundering is typically charged in connection with another crime. And so if you erase the Farrah crime and you erase the tax crime, well, then they can't prosecute him for money laundering. But wait. When did they mention that he was also potentially going to be prosecuted for money laundering? Oh, they just mentioned it right here. <laughs> no worries. Over the last two years, federal prosecutors in Delaware have issued scores of subpoenas for documents related to Hunter Biden's foreign work and for bank accounts linked to him and his associates, including two formerly close business partners, Eric Schwerin and Devin Archer, according to people familiar with the investigation. Last year, prosecutors interviewed Mr. Archer and subpoenaed him for documents and grand jury testimony. The people said <laughs> the people, the people familiar with the investigation said this. Mr. Archer, who was sentenced last month in an unrelated securities fraud case in which a decision to set aside his conviction was reversed, had served with Mr. Biden on Burisma's board starting in 2014. Oh, and didn't. John Kerry's stepson, wasn't he also involved? Wasn't his name Chris Hines? Oh, yeah, he was definitely involved with Hunter Biden and Devin Archer. But they're all totally above board. You got to understand that everything they did in these foreign countries while their parents were in high levels of the Obama administration, all above board. Yes, there are crimes attached to all of it now. But if they don't get convicted on any of these crimes, then they didn't do anything wrong. People familiar with the investigation said prosecutors had examined emails between Mr. Biden, Mr. Archer and others about Burisma and other foreign business activity. Those emails were obtained by The New York Times from a cache of files that appears to have come from a laptop abandoned by Mr. Biden in a Delaware repair shop. The email and others in the cache were authenticated by people familiar with them and with the investigation. Well, what a revelation that is. Of course, that revelation was made in October of 2020 when Tony Bobolinsky, who was one of the people on those emails, went on the Tucker Carlson show and gave his own press availabilities about all of this. There was never any doubt about whether or not that was Hunter Biden's laptop and whether or not all the information on it was real. All of it was always real. The doubt was sowed intentionally by 50 former intelligence officials, by the media, by the social media companies, and by Joe Biden himself. In some of the emails, 
Mr. Biden displayed a familiarity with Farah and a desire to avoid triggering it. Oh, so he was totally conscious of the fact that he might be committing a crime and he did it anyway. Is that what you're telling us, New York Times? Because it sounds from the rest of the article like you're saying the exact opposite. In one email to Mr. Archer in April 2014, Mr. Biden outlined his vision for working with Burisma. In the email, Hunter Biden indicated that the forthcoming announcement of a trip to Ukraine by Vice President Biden, who is referred to in the email as my guy, but not by name, should be characterized as part of our advice and thinking. But what he will say and do is out of our hands. The announcement, quote, could be a really good thing, or it could end up creating too great an expectation. We need to temper expectations regarding that visit, Hunter Biden wrote. Vice President Biden traveled to Kiev, the Ukrainian capital, about a week after the email. In the same April 2014 email, Hunter Biden indicated that Burisma's officials, quote, need to know in no uncertain terms that we will not and cannot intervene directly with domestic policymakers and that we need to abide by FARA and other U.S. laws in the strictest sense across the board. You understand everything Hunter did he did with the full conscience that violating the law would be a terrible, terrible thing to do. He suggested enlisting the law firm where he worked at the time, Boys Schiller Flexner, to help Burisma through, quote, direct discussions at State Energy and NSC, referring to two cabinet departments and the National Security Council at the White House. It's good that he used his own firm. The firm, quote, can devise a media plan and arrange for legal protections and mitigate U.S. domestic negative press regarding the current leadership, if need be, Mr. Biden wrote in the email. Isn't that interesting? This powerful law firm is going to devise a media plan and mitigate U.S. domestic negative press. What a great law firm. Mr. Biden, Mr. Archer. Boys Schiller Flexner and Blue Star Strategies did not register under Farah on behalf of Burisma. In another set of emails examined by prosecutors, Hunter Biden and Mr. Archer discussed inviting foreign business associates, including a Burisma executive, to a dinner in April 2015 at a Washington restaurant where Vice President Biden would stop by. It's not clear whether the Burisma executive attended the dinner, although the vice president did make an appearance, according to people familiar with the event. I think there actually might be pictures of that event, but let's ask people familiar with it. Prosecutors also subpoenaed records related to a lawsuit brought by the former employee of Mr. Biden's London Alexis Roberts in Arkansas State Court, according to her lawyer. Ms. Roberts sued Mr. Biden for child support and paternity in 2019 after one of his companies ceased paying her and providing her with health insurance, according to court records. Oh, this is that stripper he had a baby with that they never, ever talk about and that Joe Biden didn't even put up a stocking for at the White House above the fireplace at Christmas. She's not part of the public family. She's part of the private family. Mr. Biden and Ms. Roberts reached a settlement out of court in the paternity case in March 2020. 
Last year, prosecutors traveled to Little Rock, Arkansas, and asked Ms. Roberts and her lawyer about Mr. Biden's finances, including which corporate entity he used to pay her and whether that entity had received payments from Burisma, according to a person familiar with the questioning. And last month, in response to another subpoena, Ms. Roberts testified before the grand jury in Delaware, according to her lawyer. Now, that is the end of the article. That is all you need to know as far as the New York Times goes. Do you have more questions now or fewer questions? I would think that if you are a curious person who cares about corruption on this scale, you might have more questions. The place I would start is who loaned Hunter Biden a million dollars recently so that he could pay off that tax thing to make his tax thing go away a little easier. That's an interesting question. Who is giving the fake president's son a million dollars to help him avoid potentially scandalous court battles? Why doesn't the paper of record care about the answer to that question? This is the first time in a year and a half that the legacy propaganda media has even admitted that the laptop is real. It has always been real. The New York Times just described how that laptop became public knowledge after ignoring its existence for a year and a half. And why are they doing this? Well, they're doing this because it's about to get so much worse. The entire thing is unraveling. Hunter Biden's connections in Ukraine have to do with election theft. They have to do with corrupt dealings in the energy sector. They have to do with money laundering. And they have to do with Ihor Kolomoisky, who owns Privat Bank and who funds the neo-Nazis in Ukraine. And so isn't it interesting? I read the text on the podcast the other day from Hunter Biden's very real laptop that has Hunter Biden discussing with his brother Bo's widow, Hallie, who he began a sexual affair with, where he actually asked Hallie Biden if she really believed he'd had children burned alive in Donetsk or that he had people murdered in Beijing children killed in Donetsk, whether she believed he runs a criminal empire. Why would he be asking these questions to his brother's widow with whom he's having a sexual affair? Well, it's because she might believe them. And why might she believe them? Well, she might have really good reason to believe them. And since Hunter Biden's crimes in Ukraine are becoming obvious, that means Joe's are. And Joe's have been for a very long time. The global communist went so far as to stage a fake impeachment to cover up what Joe was doing in Ukraine. But of course, it's not just Joe. Joe was doing it while Barack Obama was president and while Joe was vice president. So that kind of ties Barack Obama into Ukraine, doesn't it? And we all know that the Clinton Foundation received massive donations from Ukraine. They had all sorts of business going on there. And Hillary Clinton's going to start hearing about Uranium One again. And at that point, you might think, man, what are all these people trying to protect in Ukraine? Is this really about the lives of Ukrainian citizens? 
is this about the evil Vladimir Putin? And then you might think, well, no, of course it's not about any of that. That stuff sounds like nonsense every time the television says it. Do you think Hunter Biden, whose own brother's wife, who then became Hunter's girlfriend, the man who believes that girlfriend might believe he had children burned alive in Donetsk. Do you think he cares about the lives of Ukrainian citizens? Are we really going to pretend that that is what the push for World War III is all about? Well, of course not. But that's not even the end of the problem. Because we know what else is on Hunter Biden's laptop. Aside from endless proof of rampant corruption and criminality, there's also just endless pornography. A lot of it self-shot. A lot of it with hookers. A lot of drug use as well. And all of that stuff's going to be coming out too. And so with that in mind, it's really weird that in the midst of all this talk of war of Joe Biden accusing Vladimir Putin of being a war criminal, something he's not prepared to back up at all. Biden took a moment to mutter this yesterday. So we established a new civil rights, a new civil rights cause of action for those whose intimate images were shared on the public screen. How many times have you heard, I'll bet everybody knows somebody somewhere along the line, that in an intimate relationship, what happened was the guy takes a revealing picture of his naked friend or whatever in a compromising position, and then literally, in a sense, blackmails him or, or mortifies that person, sends it out, put it online. Got that? A new civil rights action that they are claiming addresses revenge porn. And there's nothing good about revenge porn. I hope revenge porn is addressed. But the timing's awfully interesting, isn't it? I bet everybody knows somebody that in an intimate relationship, what happened was the guy takes a revealing picture of his naked friend or whatever in a compromising position and then blackmails. And if you've been paying attention to the arc of the last couple of years, you will recognize that what is being done here is they are giving a, a prelude to the situation where the images on Hunter Biden's laptop start getting shared all over the Internet. And then we are told that all of this is revenge porn and must be immediately taken down by the social media companies, and they will try to erase it all from public knowledge. Now, that's not going to work, but they are going to do it. And then they are going to say that people doing it are domestic terrorists, and then they will do another round of the thing where they say, you can't say these things. If you do, you're a terrorist. Okay, now we're going to prosecute you like the parents of the school children last year. Now, the suppression of free speech and free press, the constant push to propagandize everything, to create full narrative control so that you can extract more power from the people and subjugate them forever. That is the goal right here. That is usually the mark of what we commonly referred to as illegitimate and dictatorial regimes. 
And people are getting the false impression that something like that could happen in a constitutional republic like America. Well, the thing is, we actually are in an illegitimate dictatorial regime and a communist dictatorial regime at that. But I know, I know, election fraud was a myth. Everything went just fine. It was the safest and most secure election of all time. And we've all been forced to pretend that that's true for the last year and a half. It just simply turns out not to be true. And now we have an admission, a full on admission that that simply is not true. And it came from a strange source yesterday. It came from Rhino Republican Speaker of the Wisconsin State House, Robin Voss. It's not about growing the support. I mean, everybody has a right to present their case. Everybody has a right to petition their government. Um, I have heard from an awful lot of folks who have concerns about the election. I believe there were problems with the election. I believe that's why we have passed 17 different bills. We have the Gaiman investigation that I know is showing many of the issues that are there. The problem gets down to what's the remedy. There are some people who think that the legislature has the unilateral ability to overturn the election. We do not. Constitutional scholars like Rick Essenberg, Jim Trippis, Donald Trump's own attorney in Wisconsin said we do not have that power. Um, I still believe that today. Uh, what they spent much of the time talking about, uh, that's a private conversation, but basically they are trying to convince us of the fraud that occurred. I already believe there was fraud that occurred. Uh, the challenge is we now need to have an attorney general and a governor who will sign legislation and fight with us to make sure that the election in 2022 and 2024 is fair. We don't have the ability to unilaterally overturn the election. Just a can. Do you think there was widespread fraud or just a few instances? Uh, I think there was widespread fraud. Um, and I think we are going to see more and more data that comes out as Justice Gamelin continues his investigation. But it's up to the people of Wisconsin to decide who they want to lead their state. If they want to have Tony Evers and Josh Call who have obstructed the investigation and a fair election in every way they possibly could, that's what they can vote for in November. I think we have a better remedy with candidates who will say that we'll pass election integrity investigator, election uh, infection, we will pass election integrity legislation. We'll follow up on the findings from the nonpartisan audit bureau and will who have all found that there were problems. The Democrats still have not yet admitted that there were any issues with the 2020 election, and every investigation has shown there were many. So I think we should focus on the solution, which is a new governor, a new attorney general, the ability to have, as we move forward, solutions that can actually become law, as opposed to ideas which, again, are totally untested, never been done in the history of our country. We can't have a legislature decertify an election. Thanks, everybody. Now, as I said, Robin Voss is a rhino, and that was a very rhino response. But that's not the part to focus on, okay? The part to focus on is the narrative shift that has now occurred. That is someone who has resisted, in large part, any discussion of decertification. Tim Rampton has had his resolution up in the Wisconsin State House for over a month now. And Voss has done nothing with it. In fact, he has made Rampton's job harder to do. Voss is claiming that there is no way to decertify the election. That is simply not true. And Voss is claiming that the only way to fix this is by electing new people in another fraudulent election. Because the 2020 election had massive widespread fraud. He just said that and admitted it and said that the investigations have shown that. 
That's not something you can just put back in the bottle. The election was subject to fraud and manipulation and illegal influence throughout the entire process at every single level. There was a massive system put in place to steal the 2020 election. It is obviously true in Wisconsin, and it is as true everywhere else around the country, because this same system, versions of this system were implemented pretty much everywhere. Widespread fraud, according to the investigation, admitted by a person who is not trying to overturn the election in any way. And it's now becoming unavoidable. This was also from yesterday in Wisconsin, and it sounds like March 24th, one week from today, is going to be a big day. And it's sounding like March 24th is going to be a big day for a lot of reasons. We are about to see a lot of things really start rolling. Check this out. Today, and on March 24th, we got the cell phone pings at the ballot drop boxes. We got the video footage of them holding up ballots, taking a picture, so the Democrats can pay them per ballot. And we're going to have evidence where it says, this is who told me to go to this ballot box. This is who gave me the ballot. This is who gave me the name. You just take your picture and you'll get your money. We have people coming forward because they're not going to jail for Joe Biden or the Democrats or the big tech billionaires here in Wisconsin. They're cutting deals. Now, I know that's a bit hard to hear, but he was talking about how they have all of the true the vote evidence, the proof from the drop boxes of an illegal ballot harvesting scheme to inject fake votes into the election. They have that and they have whistleblowers. He said specifically, these people are not willing to go to jail for Joe Biden. We have whistleblowers. So the Liberty Overwatch channel posted that on Telegram yesterday. And just so you have the details, that was Jefferson Davis, spokesperson for the ad hoc committee on Wisconsin election integrity. He announced that Catherine Engelbrecht from True the Vote will be testifying Thursday, March 24th. And they have whistleblower testimony that will be presented. They also have a similar whistleblower found by True the Vote. In Georgia, that says potentially a million illegal ballots in the Georgia election, a million just in Georgia. Now, for all of the people who I have had to listen to over the last year telling me that fraud on this scale is not possible. What do you mean? 2.6 million illegal ballots in Pennsylvania as soon as that court case gets settled out. And that's just because they put laws into the books illegally. And went off that and counted all the fake ballots and extended their time beyond when they were supposed to take them. They just overrode the law. They overrode the court decisions. We've got over a million ballots in Wisconsin, a million in Georgia. Whoops. There goes Biden's popular vote win. Of course, it's not even close to that because you're probably looking at five times that in California. Would anyone be surprised if California, with their 5 million additional registered voters above eligible voters, would have 5 million fraudulent votes if you can get a million through in the red state of Georgia? And consider this from the perspective of some low-level corrupt politician around this country at the local level. Someone who has kept their mouth shut for a year and a half, hoping all of this would go away. 
They're out there calling everybody domestic terrorists, talking about the big lie. How long will they hold on to that? Because ultimately, it's going to be every one of them, every single one of them, every politician in this country who allowed this fraudulent election to go forward. All of them are going to see the same fate because everyone will know what they did. And no one is going to let any of them get away with this. If these people were smart, they would have become whistleblowers long ago. And hopefully many did. And hopefully we've been getting all this information behind the scenes the entire time so that when this case moves, it'll be open and shut. The evidence of fraud has always been there. It has always been obvious. It has always been overwhelming. And now it is coming in full force. And you've got that and Ukraine and Taiwan and immigration and Hunter Biden's laptop, Hunter Biden's pornography. The FBI, the CIA, the Clinton Foundation, all of the old school politicians, the old guard in Washington and Barack Obama himself, all of them are tied up in every little bit of it. And then, of course, George Soros. And I get it. Yeah, it sucks that it's taken so long. But the truth was always known by enough people to ensure the truth would eventually come out and we are reaching that stage. This is reaching a critical mass and it's going to get really entertaining. But the problem is, while it's becoming really entertaining, all of the worst, most corrupt, most depraved people in the world are going to do every single thing they can to save their own asses. And so that can get dangerous. So I hope everybody stays smart, gets prepared however they're able to, because it seems like a storm is coming. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app 
and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!